0: As a sales manager, you are judged by the performance of your team and you're praised when they do well. But one thing that you've not been able to figure out is how to get everyone on your team consistently hitting quota every single month. On the Snack Size Sales Podcast, we discuss the science of selling STEM. Sales leadership in the science, technology, engineering, and manufacturing fields is difficult. You will learn from sales managers just like you that will give you actionable insights and tips on how to develop as a leader and achieve your revenue targets every single month. So pop your headphones in and get ready to listen to my guest today. They will give you information and inspiration to ensure that you have actionable insights that you can put into place today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Snack Size Sales Podcast. Today, my guest is Andy Rymick with HOH Water Technology. How are you, Andy?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks so much for being here. Let me tell you a little bit more about Andy. He is the CEO of HOH Water Technology. This is a third generation family business serving customers in the industrial water treatment space. He grew up in West Michigan and he's lived in Michigan, Florida, and Illinois since coming on board with HOH. So a third generation water treatment facility. That's not something we hear about too often. Tell me about how you grew up in this business and how you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah, so a water treatment company, we are in the industrial water treatment space, which is basically we work with large industrial or commercial properties treating the water that they use for heat transfer. And my wife's grandfather started HOH back in 1968. He was actually in the Navy and a lot of people coming out of the Navy got their start in water treatment because back in the day, They powered these big naval ships with steam boilers. And so they would learn to do water treatment on the steam boilers, come out of the Navy, and then find a a career in water treatment in the private sector, treating a lot of steam boilers for heating and cooling, or I guess heating in this case of large commercial facilities or industrial complexes. So that's how he started it coming out of the Navy and started, uh, went off on his own and created HOH. And then uh, my father-in-law succeeded him and I got into it when I married my wife to some degree. Um, we got married and I didn't know really anything about what her dad was doing. I was in a, a real estate background and in a, a small startup with some friends and had no intention of uh, joining the family business. And it, uh, it was when my wife and I were about to have kids. And uh, I thought that maybe a career change with something more stable would be a good idea that I approached uh, my father-in-law to say, hey, I'm interested. And uh, if you need someone to help grow a territory, uh, I would love a conversation. And so at that time, he was interested in someone in West Michigan where we were living. And that started the, the process.
0: So you're, so this is your, um, on your wife's side, right? Correct. And so you got married and you saw your father-in-law running this company. And when I think that one thing that's very commendable of you is you said, hey, I want to grow a territory, not hand me the keys to the kingdom. Let me be the CFO or the COO. It was really you being humble saying, let me learn the business. Right. So tell me about when you first started and you started essentially working for your father in law. How was that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was good. I mean, he was the president and CEO at the time, so I knew I wasn't going to be working obviously directly for him or have a lot of day-to-day interaction with him. My process of getting hired was similar to probably anyone. I had an interview schedule and, you know, a bunch of interviews that I went on. At some point, I did interview with my father-in-law, and it was his common practice to try to interview everyone that was hired into the company. And, uh, you know, I was pretty direct with him at the beginning about my ambitions and my goals of wanting to be in leadership, whether it be the CEO one day or just, you know, a a position of leadership within the company. But I was also very willing to start wherever I had to, to kind of prove myself. And so I was hired in on more of a sales role. But at the time, we had a technician that was leaving the territory and actually going out to Arizona to work for us. And so when I first started, I spent about a year doing technician work and in the field, hands dirty, you know, grinding away. And then on the free days that I'd have, I'd go out cold calling and knocking on doors. So I really did start at about at the bottom of the company and slowly worked my way up over time, which I appreciate. I think that gives a lot of perspective for me as I've kind of progressed within the company.
0: You know, if I had a crystal ball and all companies had the time to do exactly what you did That is really what I think all new salespeople need to do. So as a chemist, I tell people I worked on both sides of supply chain. I was a person processing the samples, figuring out the failure analysis, doing all those things. Then when I started selling into those same types of environments, I understood what they were doing. And so as a salesperson, when you understand what your technicians are going through, what the installers are going through, how difficult, how unhappy customers can be, it gives you so much more empathy as a salesperson, and you really learn the product. There's no better way to learn your product, your service that you're selling, than to touch it, feel it every single day, right?
1: Yeah, and I love how your podcast specifically is focused on STEM and sales, because STEM sales are, I think, its own unique thing, and we've had different thought processes throughout our history of saying like you know what if we could just find a really great salesperson we can train them you know our core competencies and business models and what we do and right now and, and this could change you know six times over the you know next 20 years but right now i sit here and go i don't know if we can do that like i need someone with some background and some technical skills to be able to go into that into the field because It's just so technical often that someone that just, you know, knows how to make a great sales presentation is gonna struggle not knowing how to talk the lingo and, and know what a piece of equipment does or why it does it. So yeah, starting from the bottom, I think is a great funnel process to like bring someone into sales eventually.
0: Yes, and you're so right. It's, I do think that from my standpoint, I don't think somebody has to necessarily be, I call it an industry insider. Or more eloquently, I say your competitors rejects. <laughs> I don't think that they need to be that, but they do need to be technical in some way, right? So yeah. again, I was a chemist and I sold capital equipment. I was a chemist and I sold specialty chemicals. Yeah, I didn't know everything about these you know, specialty chemicals, but I could learn it. And I was smart enough to know, okay, this plus this equals this, say this to a customer. So really ensuring that you're looking in the right niche, right? So, okay, do I need somebody with an engineering background? Do I need somebody who's a physicist? Because if you get somebody off the street like um, who's selling cell phones, they don't have that technical know-how and it's really the fact that their sales process is quick. And so they don't have to be really in-depth. They don't have to build that bridge. They don't have to be the customer's consultant and walk lockstep with them. But so I do think what you're saying, it has so much validity and there's always that fine line and I focus on stem sales because it's different. You know, everything yeah. it's you have to be a technical salesperson. You're not a salesperson, you're a technical salesperson. And that technical piece is so crucial.
1: Yeah. And I don't and I don't think that, uh, you know, I would ever stick to absolute like this would never work. But I think as sales managers, we need to be very cognizant of if I'm going to choose someone outside of the industry, the learning curve is going to be longer and I'm going to have to be more patient with that person because it's just going to take time. And so whereas someone coming from the industry, I could say, you know what, we could ramp them up in a year from now. I expect them to be killing and crushing their quotas, whereas someone else, I might have to really alter their quotas and be patient with how they progress and grow.
0: Patience, that is the key. Because when I go in and I'm working with organizations, I always say, they, they say, so Wesleyan, what do you think about this person or that person? And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you to fire anybody, but I'm going to say it's going to take this long to get this person up to speed and this long to get that person up to speed. Do you have the bandwidth and the patience to know that this person you hired who doesn't have the skill set? And a lot of times for me, it's like they have no sales experience and no technical experience. I'm like, come on, guys. They need one or the other. Can they have some sales experience or some technical experience? If you hire somebody who just seems good, that doesn't really work. And it's patience. So you went from you were a salesperson and then you transition into sales leadership. So tell us about that how that transition was for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a fairly natural step. I, was, uh, I had started to have some success in West Michigan and growing that territory. And then we had a, a sales manager in Florida that uh, was retiring. And so we were looking for a replacement and I was approached to say, would you have interest in uprooting your family, moving down to Florida and running this division for us? And so I saw it as a great opportunity to get experience in sales management where I hadn't had a ton of that before. And um, I think my wife is, you know, great that she's always willing to go take an adventure and move somewhere that, you know, we didn't really know anyone. And so we went down to Florida and uh, I managed a team down there for three years. And that uh, that was a great experience overall. I've moved a handful of times in my life and not one of them have I ever regretted. I think anyone who has a chance to move somewhere, especially away from like their hometown, even if it's for two or three years, I would seize that opportunity because you just get so much from it seeing a different perspective, a different place, something that you're kind of uh, out of your comfort zone in.
0: So as a brand new sales manager that took over an existing team, what were some of the challenges, some of the things that you experienced?
1: I mean. I think with sales management, at least in my experience, like it all comes down to people. And so I had to assess the people we had. Obviously there was gonna be a different dynamic. I was thrust into a hard situation where I was a very young individual in a sales leadership role down there where I had one of the salespersons working for me was in their lower sixties. So there's naturally gonna be some tension with I've been doing this, you know, since you were in diapers and you know, who do you think you are kind of a thing? So that was for sure tough and a lot of great learning experiences. And uh, while we were down there, we acquired a company. So we brought on some new team members that we had to integrate into the the company, but also the team. We had to assess those. And then uh, a handful of them did not end up working out. And then we did some hiring. So we brought in some new people. So I have a great firsthand experience of going out to the field and finding a salesperson that did not have any technical background. And you know, hiring them because of the potential I saw, and working through what was, especially in the beginning, a very painful process. But it ended up being a success story, and so uh, now they're still in the in the field, in the market, and they're doing a great job. But yeah, I I dabbled in a lot of different uh, issues. Well, at my time in Florida.
0: So within three years, you had a established sales team with. A lot of, and you know, I think in this time that we're in, there are a lot of salespeople who've always, they've never wanted to become, go into management. They're very comfortable being in sales because, I mean, I think we know that the dirty little secret, becoming a sales manager, when you first start, you actually make a little bit less money than you did as a salesperson, right? And so a lot of salespeople know that. And so- they're getting up there in age right so they're in their 50s and 60s and then you know you have this new tenacious excited person coming in like i'm managing you now not only did you have that but then you had to rebuild the team you had to have some attrition let some people go but it sounds like in three years after you did that your next step was where
1: so my next step we, so we decided that we actually wanted to divest of our florida division oh. and so we sold it off And so I went down there, managed a team, we acquired a company, and then we sold it off. And then I moved up to the Chicagoland area where our headquarters is out of. And so I came up here and I actually took, if you look at maybe a a company hierarchy, I took a step down where I did not come into sales management. I came back into a sales role moving up into Chicagoland. And I did that for about a year. And then we had created a new role called a channel sales manager manager that i uh, interviewed and accepted that role and really worked at looking at different kind of partnerships that we could make with other companies different forms of how to get you know our product out into the space and i did that for a while before becoming vice president of sales which is a title that i also technically retain today
0: so tell me how did you accept that i have to take a step back in order to take a step forward um, going from managing a sales team, being kind of autonomous, to going back into the individual contributor role.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think that's a really hard thing to do for anyone. It's you know going the opposite direction of where you're trying to go. And I'm a person that has always had you know pretty clear ambitions, and in uh, taking a step away from that ultimate goal or where I'm trying to go uh, is hard to deal with. And so I tried to look at the big picture and what my ultimate goals were, and you know basically convince myself that taking a step to the side or back does not change where I'm going. It's just altering the path of how I'm going to get there. And so Mm -hmm. if it takes a little longer, that's okay. If I have to, you know, do a little jog in the road, I'm fine with that. But it wasn't going to change, you know, my ultimate goal and where I was trying to reach.
0: And, you know, I think that probably somewhere in the back of your mind, you're like, well, I'm going to headquarters, so um, maybe there'll be more visibility. Maybe there'll be more opportunities for me, right? Right. And I think that a lot of times, especially in sales for those people who want to get into leadership and want to get into management, it's hard for them to take a step back, right? It's because it's like, I've been managing people. Now I have to be managed. I've been doing pipeline reviews. Now my, I have somebody who's going to be reviewing my pipeline. And so really I would say just having your ego in check to understand that, Hey, it's okay. I'm doing this because there's future growth. And it seems like. After a year, you were in the right place. You became the channel sales manager and then you were able to move into this VP of sales role. So today, as you say, you managed, you're the VP of sales as well as the president of the company. So how are you able to balance those two things?
1: Yeah, that's a tough question. I, you know, it's weeks, uh, I think that probably 80% of my time is spent doing, you know, sales manager, VP of sales type work and 20% CEO stuff. And some weeks it's, you know, flip flop. So understanding it's not going to be perfect. And uh, we're intentionally running a little lean right now. So I'm okay with it. We know that eventually we'll hire, you know, a sales manager replacement to fill that seat, but for the time being, especially in the climate that we're in with what's going on, we're okay. That you know, I'm wearing a couple of different hats. Some of the the jobs that I'm doing, I think, uh, pair well together. You know, still doing some higher level selling with customers, which I would you know and will be doing as a CEO, even when we have a sales manager. Still trying to interact with our sales teams um, as much as I can, and kind of charting the course for where we're trying to go. So I think they pair well together, but I know it's it's not uh, a long term solution that we're going to try to stay in.
0: Once a salesperson, I was a salesperson. I mean, we all say, I mean, if you're really truly a salesperson, it's hard to, to let that go. So you saying that you'll be involved in some higher level deals, it's, it's because you want to, not because you have to.
1: That's so true. And I went out with one of our salespeople two weeks ago and we did some cold calling. And I haven't cold called in a while. And uh, we did about a day and a half of it and we walked and door knocked on. You know 30 different places and uh, i had so much fun and we had a lot of success like a much higher rate than i ever got i think on my own so i don't know it might have been just like that day and the sun was shining that people wanted to talk to us but i came back up to the corporate office and my brother-in-law who's the the coo was like man you seem lively today and i was and he's like is your bucket full right now i'm like it is kind of full like i just had a blast cold calling so yeah there is something Just, you know, inside a salesperson that kind of gets them going when they do certain activities.
0: And that, you know, inherent need that you have or that desire, I'm imagining that's what makes you really good and effective as a VP of sales. Because one thing that, you know, a lot of salespeople say or think is if you haven't walked a day in my shoes, then you really can't give me advice. But you're like, I just spent a half day cold calling so if i can do that you can do that right (laughs) so it's very it's much easier for you to say that so a lot of times when you're in companies of your size there's a battle between the ceo and the vp of sales in terms of what the ceo wants and what the vp of sales wants right so since you're operating in both of those modes i'm curious as to when you have those battles of this is good for the sales organization but maybe it's not good for the company or vice versa how do you get through those internal battles?
1: Yeah, I think it's actually, <laughs> to me, it's easy because I'm having the conversation <laughs> with myself. So a lot of the battles that we might see as a sales leader, you know, VP of sales saying, I need more salespeople. I need to stick them here and here because we need to have these growth targets. And then the VP going, wow, we got budgets and we can't do everything. And so I'm aware of both sides of those coins. And so at some level, and it's not me alone, we have a great leadership team that we work with, but at some level we're making that decision together and saying, all right, is it worth the risk to go maybe outside the budget to stick someone here with the expectation that sales are gonna do X. And so it is a very fluid uh, process that we're kind of uh, you know toiling through what's in the best interest of the company, but also in hitting sales targets. So ah. I'm fairly pragmatic about it. Like I'm not interested in hitting sales targets for the fun of hitting sales targets. If we're going to hit sales targets, I want them to affect the bottom line and uh, and you know actually progress some of the company goals too. So
0: so you don't have that VP of Sales hat that says we'll win by any means necessary because the CEO hat says we still got to make money.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I'm very aware of uh, the bottom line of it all, and I guess that probably helps too with some capacity with the team so our sales team probably knows more about what's going on with the company than say a lot of sales teams that just have Mm -hmm. a top line quota so our team has a fairy they have a top line quota they know where we're going for but they also understand some of the cogs that are involved and some of the overhead that we have and that you know what fun is it to you know do 20 more million dollars worth of sales if we're going to make the same profit like we all feel good, but we actually were very inefficient in what we were doing.
0: Yes, I always say that you know, as um, a middle, middle management sales manager, even as a salesperson, when you think about discount, you always think about top-down. How much can I discount? What can I discount? And as a good sales leader, you think about bottom-up. What's my margin? Yeah. What's the lowest, how what's the lowest margin that I can sell from, right? And so again, since you have that view, you're able to tell the team that. So instead of that top-down view, they're looking at bottom-up. Right. So they think about things in terms of that bottom up and it helps them be better salespeople because they understand, hey, no, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I need to walk away from this deal or maybe I shouldn't do this now because it doesn't make sense for the company.
1: Yep. And our team is getting better at that every single day. But it's a learning process, right? We're all kind of figuring it out as we go. Awesome. So
0: you kind of mentioned
1: a success story
0: in there a little bit. But as you look back at your career as a sales manager, or VP of sales, what is a, who is a person, a team, a situation that you're really proud of today?
1: Yeah, if I look back over the career, I would probably echo the one that I started on, which was down in Florida. And uh, I mean, that was, that was such a hard time. We hired this individual and uh, they were struggling in the beginning. And I had a, a sales manager at the time who was the, the form, a former VP of sales for our company. And I was going to him saying like, what do I do here? Like the person's just not getting the job. I don't know what to do. It's early on, but I'm nervous. And he was very quick to be like, cut him, you're done. Like, let him go. And I was like, and I just couldn't, I'm like, this is our fault. Like we hired him and we should have done a better job on the front end, knowing what we were getting. And, you know, to take this individual from the job that they were doing, bring him in house and just say, oh, you're not really what I'm looking for. Like, I just, I couldn't handle that. And so I went against what our VP sales said I should do. And I said, I'm not going to cut him." Like, this is on me just as much as it is on him. And so I just worked more with them and had more patience. And, uh, you know, like I said, we divested of that area, but the company we sold to, he still works for to this day and he's doing great and uh, he's progressed along and he's a key member of their team now. And uh, I take a lot of pride in the fact that uh, I stuck with him and uh, you know, didn't give up.
0: Mm, that's powerful. I, I love that story because so many times that's the answer, right? Just cut them. And I often ask sales managers, sales leaders, when they have that low performing person, I ask them to be introspective and I say, have you given that person the best of you? Have you invested? Have you coached them to the best of your ability? And most times they say no. And so I'm like, it's on you, it's not on them, right? And I think you realize that. You said, it's on me, it's not on him. Let me right. invest more and your investment paid off dividends. Yeah. That's awesome. Andy, I've enjoyed our time together. If somebody wants to reach out to you or get in contact with you, what is the one best way?
1: One best way is probably LinkedIn. Obviously they can search me at Andy Rymick and they'll find me and send a message. I'm pretty accessible. So they could also just Google search HUH Water Technology and call our office and say, I want to talk to Andy and you'll get through at some point in time. Um, And so, uh, uh, yeah, I'm pretty accessible, but uh, yeah, LinkedIn is a very easy way.
0: Awesome, LinkedIn. And I'm just going to give people another little tip there. Hey, all you cold callers out there, sometimes you you don't think that you can access the decision maker, but have you ever thought about just Googling them, picking up the phone and asking me to be patched through? Tenacity, like you said. At some point, they'll get patched through tenacity. There you go. go. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. Make sure you check out Andy on LinkedIn. And thanks again so much for joining me for this episode of the Snack Size Sales Podcast. And remember, in everything that you do, transform your sales. Until next time. Thank you for joining us today on the Snack Sized Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.